CLS is go for main engine, start. Go at throttle up. Negative return. Then we see a nominal Miko. Welcome to space. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to the show. Uh, we got a, a, a really special uh, guest with us today. We got Casey Dreyer from the Planetary Society. And Casey, it's been a long time since you and I have talked. <laughs> um, I know that uh, you've missed me in the uh, 48 hours between now and our last conversation. Uh, but we're just we're just filling the week up with Casey. So uh, welcome to the show. We're excited about it. Happy to be here. And, you know, we actually didn't touch on a lot of things in that hour and a half long conversation of the decadal. So we could easily finish just that and even not talk about the uh, planetary or NASA budget here. There's like going to be yeah, a Lord yeah. of the Rings length, length, Jake and Casey conversation for everyone to listen to over the next Rector's week or cut. two. Yeah. 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 Like, look, look forward to your feeds next week because we got uh, it's going to be a, a double part, uh, uh, double feature, uh, two part or we Martians. Uh, <laughs> but you'll never see a breakdown of the decadal survey like this. It's going to be it's going to be incredible. Um, uh, so once yeah. in a decade. So, uh, and we got. Yeah. yeah it's once in a decade event. That's right. Yeah. We even got the look at this. We got the Planetary Society literally in our comments right now. Look at this. This is amazing. Good to see you. Uh, uh, Planetary Society. Thanks for joining. <laughs> Oh, that's great. Uh, yeah, so we're going to talk about, um, we're not, not going to talk about the decadal. Well, maybe we might, touch, we might touch on it. We'll see where the conversation goes. But primarily, I think what we want to kind of uh, tackle today is some budget stuff. Um, but before we start, we should probably do drinks. Anthony, what do you think? Mm-hmm. You want to start us off? What do you got going? Yeah, I'm going to be honest. Last week's was too delicious that I bought a whole box of those Trogues <laughs> Horizons. Uh, but oh, I do have it in a sweet. It's almost summer here. So I've got it in a sweet Cape May brewing glass. It's got like a full beach scene. There's a fishing boat on this side. Look at that. Wow, that's a nice glass. So it's a pretty awesome glass. So, you know, <laughs> just channeling my way to Cape May via Central PA, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. Casey, what do you got going today? Well, I uh, didn't want to be too on the nose, but I ended up going with uh, Ecliptic Brewing. Um, oh, nice. and they have a new LIGO. I just couldn't resist the LIGO. Uh, uh, That's sweet. New West Coast Hazy IPA. I am on the West Coast here in the Pacific Northwest, so it's local enough. And LIGO, of course, is a Washington-based, at least one half of it, Washington-based uh, uh, dark energy or gravitational wave detector. So I'm trying yeah, one of those yeah. today. That's awesome. That You're sweet. making me really miss the West Coast right now because that's just not very good. Yeah, you know... <laughs> It was hard because I, I had in the north part of Seattle area where I lived, I think there's 14 breweries within about a five mile radius of me. And this <laughs> yeah. was, I, I feel bad not even selecting one of them. Uh, but maybe next time <laughs> I'll do a more local selection. This is in Portland, which is, you know, the south part of the Pacific Northwest. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, south Seattle. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, I know. I just got all every Portland listener just unsubscribed from the show. Yeah, that's that's uh, fighting words. <laughs> Last week I got to do local Central Florida humor with Brendan, so now you get to do yeah. Pacific Northwest or Southwest as Portland. Jake refers it to, like Seattle, but without sales tax. So. <laughs> um, Did you go to the beer so, uh, company, Jake? <laughs> no, I didn't. I got a cocktail. You gotta go today. back. You've been. And, you haven't been there in a while. Ah, uh, yeah, I do need to go back. You're yeah. right. Yeah. <laughs> I just, I wanted to do this one today. So just, you know, just let me pick my own drinks. Okay. Um, so this one, 
this one might be risky because after I made it, I realized that it really isn't anything but pure alcohol. <laughs> um, but this is a this is a Oaxaca old fashioned, so it is just basically tequila, mezcal, and agave sweetener with a little bit of bitters in it. Um, so yeah, it's it's pretty strong. So uh, we'll see how that goes today. And it's already condensating in the uh, uh, growing summer heat down here, so it's uh, it's gonna be fun. But yeah, cheers, everybody. So as soon as you finish that, we can talk about uh, SLS, your opinions on SLS. Yeah, yeah, yeah. At the end of the show, when this glass is empty, you'll get all the good stuff. (laughs) And Elon buying Twitter. And Elon buying Mm. Twitter. Yeah, everyone's favorite uh, topic of discussion. Topic du jour. Expert decisions, I would say. (laughs) I I saw someone describe it as the black hole of the discourse (laughs) right now, because everything (laughs) is getting sucked into that. Very accurate. All right, let's stay as far away from the event horizon as possible. That's uh, <laughs> Jake. Where, you got to pick where to start on this because I have not yet listened to the Jake and Casey epic, so I don't know. Maybe you've, there's some areas you want to dig into that you haven't even broached yet. Well, I think we can, we can we can delineate pretty well because like we were we were very uh, zeroed in on just the decadal survey for it. our conversation. Yeah. Um, yeah. So so I thought this would be really fun to to really just unpack this uh, presidential budget request, which is that's like the big reason we wanted to get Casey on because um, it's not like I don't know I, I, this is maybe where we'll start. I, I don't know if this is like a super big like news break like super headline like oh my god look at this presidential budget request i've never seen anything like i don't think it's like that but i think there's some pretty reasonably big stuff in it and so uh like casey i don't don't, what's what's maybe the the big top line takeaway for you in this request which by the way i've seen you describe it this way as like the first quote real biden budget request because last year they were sort of you know stumbling into office still but anyway what's your what's your headline takeaway from it Yeah, I mean, that's kind of the headline takeaway is that very little has changed. We've just completed a full presidential transition, right? A full White House administration transition. And for the first time in a while, we haven't seen a major reshuffling of NASA's human spaceflight and exploration programs, right? That was always this problem where one administration would start some nascent moon or Mars program. The next administration would come in, have some blue ribbon panels, sweep everything away, start over again. And NASA just ended up going in circles and circles, literally right around in, in low Earth orbit and not getting anywhere. But what we've seen now is a transition from a Republican uh, White House to a Democratic White House. And Artemis made that transition. That's actually just a really big deal. I'm trying to think the last time that really happened for a moon program or for any, let's say, deep space exploration program uh, was Lyndon Johnson to Nixon in 1968, <laughs> right? And, and 69. So this is a, that in itself is notable. The fact that we didn't see major changes and that we're continuing with the human landing system, public-private partnership model, right? The Trump and administration initiative carried forward. Yeah, right. It's well, maybe the, time, the HLS, right? It's a, yeah, but I mean, last time it was all the Gateway, right? Horrible names of Gateway. It went through like mm-hmm. what was it before the Trump administration? Because uh, I think the, the Trump administration started with the Lunar Orbiting Platform Gateway. That was their decision, right? Wasn't it the Deep yeah, Space Gateway like the, before Deep that? Deep Space Gateway. Yes, yeah, it was Deep Space Deep Gateway. Gateway because Lop G Gateway. Lop G. Yeah, I forgot the. Uh, it was well, and that was kind of interesting too because that was a. notional issue coming from the Obama administration's journey to Mars concept, right? Journey to Mars being 
everything, it was a lunar program, but with the word Mars on it the, the whole time, yeah. right? And so now we just kind of are packaging everything together. But again, this is just a big deal, right? Because we now have this, it's demonstrated that this will survive partisan kind of changeovers. And that'll just start build. I think we're starting to see inertia building behind this program in a way that happens with, you know, you kind of get to this tipping point in human space exploration programs, right? They either, they're, they're very weird, like by by modal in the sense that a ton of them never happen. But when the ones that do happen, they persist for decades, right? Like the space mm -hmm. shuttle started in program in 1972, lasted until 2011, almost 40 years. International Space Station began as an announcement in Reagan's 1984 uh, State of the Union address, still going today, right? So 40 years later. And so we're seeing this tipping point, I think, of Artemis into potentially that type of program, this multi-decadal commitment that I really think is going to get us to the moon. I think a lot of people maybe haven't internalized that this may really happen in the next five to 10 <laughs> years. Um, it's really <laughs> astonishing. Yeah, I guess like uh, the question I have about that would be like, so it is a big story that Artemis persisted, but kind of underneath Artemis and underneath what was moon to Mars and underneath before that constellation is like this, like the big budget line item, which is this, you know, they're calling it ESD today, exploration systems development, but it's, it's the SLS program. It's Orion. It was Aries before that, like that, that is kind of one in a way you could think of that as like one long continuous program. And then just like where you point that rocket has sort of changed between administrations. But does that make it sort of like, I don't know, does that sort of like weaken the argument that this is a big deal? Like, you know, behind the scenes. No, I don't know. because that's like not really. Yeah, no, I, I see what you're saying. And the, the fundamental hardware has been around since 2011. You could probably, I would even say you could trace the, workforce that it's employing back to the shuttle. This is the shuttle workforce mm -hmm. and contractors, yeah. right? That then was repurposed for Constellation that then was by law mandated to go into SLS. It's, but we saw we had a decade of SLS with no lunar program, right? And that meant something that, that we were working on a rocket. We weren't working on all the other things you need to use it. And what we're seeing here, the, the critical thing I think that is seeing surviving the transition is the human landing system program as conceived, mm -hmm. right? As a public part private partnership, first human landing lunar landing program uh, with serious funding behind it since the 1960s, right? In, in over 50 years uh, and also gateway, right? And gateway is a key item of this, I think from a political coalition building aspect, because if you look carefully, it's gateway that has all of the international partners signing onto it, all right? It's a lot harder to get to the surface of the moon, the first lunar, Landing, I think, is only two people. Hard to get a lot of international partners on those. But Gateway, you can get to much more easily. You can send four people there on Orion or whatever, and you can hang out there for longer. So more shots on goal, in a sense, for that. And you're seeing it's the Japanese coming in, the European Space Agency coming in um, with, with like serious commitments on the Gateway, right? Adding real hardware modules and and cargo and supply and ongoing commitments to it. And that's going to be the centerpiece. It's basically taking the ISS model of international partners yeah, yeah. to the moon and then leveraging that to start building this access to the surface from Gateway. So the Gateway's real, I think, benefit is creating that partnership model, that coalition building opportunity. And not and only international well. partners, there's more the commercial partners commercial. that are on iOS, yeah. ISS today, right? Like Northrop Grumman's basically 
selling everyone a Cygnus or something that they can derive from one of their satellite buses and let's yep. what kind of shape do you need it in today we'll send one out that direction so well, like you know and SpaceX and honestly, got the like cargo that, right and that, they got that Boeing is the prime on ISS so like if that starts talking about being sunsetted well they can shift their focus and say well maybe we can do some pressure vessels out by the moon and it's a less uh i don't want to use the term heavy lift because of that connotation in this but there's an easier <laughs> extension for people that are currently invested interest in the iss existing today some of the people that would continue to lobby for it beyond 2030 could be convinced that well just you know send one of those out towards the moon there it is <laughs> yeah that's and really, i think again really these these survive by inertia, right? In the sense, you want to build up bureaucratic inertia. That's this is my pragmatic uh, part of my brain talking, right? But when you build up inertia behind a program and you build an invested coalition that is interested in continuing it, that makes it really you know you can start integrating over long time scales, right? And if you're going to be spending this money anyway, you might as well you know this is why I like about art like you direct it at the moon, and we'll start to see this. Self, I mean, whether it's self-justifying or expedient politically to kind of backfill rationale for things like SLS and Orion, whatever. The whole point is everything now is pointing at the moon and NASA spending on the order of what, 10 billion a year on this, right? So this yeah. is a huge amount of investment going forward in ways we have not seen seriously. Like we never got to this point with Constellation. We never got to this point, certainly with the Space Exploration Initiative, for those of you who remember the early George H.W. Bush uh, return to the moon program, right? Mm. So this is as close as we've come since Apollo in terms of programmatic investment. I feel like we wasted the, the, all the good names in the early 2000s, though. Yeah, we did. We did waste <laughs> all the good names. Because <laughs> now it's happening and it's just generically named hardware. You know? the, the, yeah. the space exploration <laughs> initiative too was like the one where it's the opposite of this. It's where they said they had that report. It was like, hey, this is going to cost a lot of money. And they went, oh, really? Oh, cancel it. Then. Yeah, <laughs> Sorry run. about that. Yeah. <laughs> run away. <laughs> <laughs> we thought it was going to be cheap and that's why we were in on it. But <laughs> um, so it's interesting what you said about Gateway too, because, uh, well, so A, I think it has a lot more topical relevance right now because of everything that's going on with Russia and Ukraine, because my understanding is mm. it's literally like the same agreement. It's this this IGA, this intergovernmental agreement that sort of like got cookie cutter stamped from ISS over to Gateway. So Gateway might kind of be like the the new Russia free version of the ISS in a way you can you can almost say like that it's a good it's a definitely a good like safety <laughs> policy that you know like as far as NASA and, and the US government is going like wow really glad we have this in case things really go south right um, but also so I also find it interesting that in case, um, <laughs> in case yeah in case, just in it, case. Gets, it gets you worse know. you know hey it can get worse everything's it working on the ISS um, that's a good uh, attitude. I was gonna say the the other no, thing honestly, that's though, like they were going to build the airlock for gateway and and Zvezda's doing its best airlock right now. <laughs> oh. <laughs> oh. Um what was I going to say? Oh my gosh. Sorry. Okay, uh, <laughs> No, that's good. It's good. I was going to say it's really interesting to hear you say that Casey like to talk about gateway as a like really critical part of the the staying power of this because I think a lot of the discussion in the last few years have kind of talked about gateway like it's a side piece and sort of like the oh yeah the like the black sheep of the whole artemis program like oh yeah we have to have this this space station part like why can't we just go straight to the moon there's this other thing that's like latched on and it's stuck there but that's interesting to hear you kind of reframe it like that i don't know if anyone else has thoughts on yeah, that. yeah i mean that's how i like to think about these types of things right is 
you don't have particular. So, I mean, I always say this, like we have to see everything that NASA does, that it's in the context of discretionary activity, right? An optional activity in a representative democracy that is based on discrete geographical locations, right? And so if they don't have to spend this money, you don't have this kind of greenfield development opportunities when you're doing something like Artemis. You have to build a coalition from the pieces you have in order to create the political will to give you the money to do it. People just don't do this out of the goodness of their heart, right? Particularly if you don't benefit politically as a political representative. It, it's just the structure of a democracy. It's not meant to be efficient, right? It's not meant to be fast. It's not meant to be cheap even necessarily, but it can be really powerful if you build enough people willing to invest in it, right? That, that coalition building aspect. Mm -hmm. And this is what I think frustrates a lot of observers that it just, you, you see and on, on the commercial side, where you have a functional autocracy of whoever runs a company, right? You can fire people whenever you want. You can shut down whenever you want. You can start or stop programs whenever you want because it's you don't have democratic accountability because you don't have coalitions investing in you. You are a, that kind of benign dictator of whatever organization that's being run. And so we apply, in a sense, we're, we're misapplying expectations based on the type of framework that it's operating under, right? So it's a category error in some sense to expect NASA to just say, now we're going to close three centers uh, in Alabama and Texas and <laughs> Mississippi, and we'll just take that money and we'll just invest in this like brand new perfect thing as if like the, the senators or politicians of Mississippi, Texas, and Alabama would say, oh, great. Yeah. Take that money, fire all the people in our state and do something <laughs> great with it. Good luck. You know, because yeah. we just love NASA yeah. and then, you know, yeah. they'll we'll be immediately voted we'll, out of office. We'll be out there. We'll swing by yeah. and hang out <laughs> like, go to Disneyland always, for a day. No, no problem. I always thought, <laughs> yeah, the, the worst political pitch you could make is walk into a senator from Alabama's office and say, hey, what if we take $2 billion a year out of your state and put it into Southern California. Straight like, into and then do a bunch of stuff yeah. right there because you're directly sucked. into the 405. <laughs> yeah. And it's like, they're not going to be too impressed with that, but that's just the reality of what we're working with, right? And so I think we all have to understand that NASA doesn't get to operate, you know, free of these constraints. It's a political system, right? Anytime you have more than two people in a room, it's going to be political. You have to find ways to balance that out and build coalitions that will enable these long-term things. And sometimes, yeah, that can be really frustrating uh, if there are, pro I mean, the incentive structure is then wonky, right? The, the incentive isn't always to do the best, you know, or the most efficient use of money. The, the incentive is to keep the coalition together. And that can be you know, obviously powerful, but also can be, you know, very disparate or difficult to align, you know, or whatever, right? It can be frustrating to see. I'm interested to talk about um, why this time was sticky, right? You've got your whole budget breakdown on planetary societies. And if you look at this beautiful table, um, there's only a couple spots of red oh, here. Right. And they're Orion and SLS are the red spots. No, I feel like not a lot of people talk about the only red spots here were Orion and SLS. The yeah. let's fund the thing less and do the other things more. It's happening, you know, and then and it's, you know, and, you know, a little bit. There's an asterisk on those, right? Like, yeah, it's a little the bit SLS fun. is less than one percent. There's no way it'll get that little. It's going right. to get a bump up as it always has. Yeah, every this other is the cancel the education, Orion... cancel Sophia, cancel the things we know you won't. We'll jam it back in the budget later. Although the Sophia thing didn't work out, but. Um, 
but the HLS part going up by so much in the budget request, my thesis is that the previous decision to uh, award SpaceX that sole source, or uh, that's not the right term, not sole source, but single award for HLS, right? Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, at the time, I my opinion was that it was in a very aggressive move by NASA to say, because the typical was, we'll still pick two or three, we'll stretch the timeline by five years, we'll still do our same program, sorry we didn't get all the money, but Congress will give it to us later, we'll just make it longer. But they they chose the aggressive, no, we're going to the moon, we're going to pick the single award, and go ahead that way. Um, and and so now the they've they've changed the debate around the HLS when they've come into this new administration, which is, okay, you want competition send us the money, you know, send the cash over, mm -hmm. we'll, we'll hook you up with some competition. And, and that's not that they're stuck with SpaceX, but they already made that decision as an organization. And now the new bosses are going with that and saying, give us the cash for the other award. So do you think in the, in the world where they didn't just single award this to SpaceX, that we would have had the same outcome with the very sticky Artemis plan changing administration? Or do you think there would have been more shakeups because there was less committed to that's interesting. I think, well, at the very start of at the Trump administration, when they were first starting to request the funding for human landing system, they didn't get anywhere near what they requested to, right? So they were asking, in, in essence, they asked for too much too fast, and they didn't get it, right? They got, I think, a quarter of what they initially mm -hmm. requested the first time around. And so in a way, you could say this is NASA calling Congress's bluff and saying, okay, you don't want to give us the money, we can do one. And if you don't like that, then, you know, we can't just like magically generate two human landing systems, right? What's that line from contact? Uh, HR Haddon is like, why build one when you can build two for twice the price? The first rule of government spending. Um, it's the, uh, and I think what you're seeing is this is actually the consequence of cost savings is that you lose coalition opportunities, Right. Like that's the irony of this. Right. When the more efficient you are, the fewer jobs you make, the fewer contracts you can give and the smaller your coalition is going to be. And so we're seeing this with Washington state senators, uh, Maria Cantwell, really trying to push this NASA authorization bill through the Senate that would demand a second uh, selection, authorize the money, not appropriate it. That's very different, but still theoretically give the stamp of approval to spend on it. Um, but then running into a bunch of like a buzzsaw, other unrelated kind of economic issue politics uh, as, a, <laughs> as a function of that. So, but I think this is the consequence you're seeing suddenly, I think I, that's an interesting insight that usually NASA would just say, fine, we'll give two contracts and we'll just delay everything out to the future. But this time they've really stood their ground and said, look, if we're trying to get there fast, we choose one, we're going to put all of our chips on it. If you don't like it, you can give us the money. And I think that was an interesting, savvy political move. And you're seeing a, a growth in this. And they clearly got pushback for it, right, from a, must be a variety of sources. But the money that they requested, so, you know, just to clarify in this budget, they're requesting extra funding to support a second selection on the Lunar Lander. But the amount that they're requesting is relatively modest. Over the next five years, they project requesting an extra, I think, one and a half, one point two five billion, right? So it's a 24% growth, but you're still talking about, you know, quote unquote, only $300 million yeah, yeah. this year, right? And, and, and when you, have a like you said, when you run it the out years, 
like there's not enough budget there for some of those original proposals that they had. Like they they mm. couldn't fit that original Blue Origin proposal into that budget. They couldn't fit the Boeing yeah. proposal certainly, and not even the Dynetics one. No, the Dynetics one was pretty expensive. Uh, Jeff Bezos would really have to kick in more, which I think yeah. probably he would do. At this point. Well, he wrote an open letter. <laughs> he already so. <laughs> increased his offer. Yeah, right. He already increased his offer. That they'll get a billion just to have the imprimatur of NASA endorsing the company so they can build something like this. I think they would. Um, so I'll be really curious to see how this moves forward. And I think this level of increase is totally within the ability of Congress to swallow and accept it, right? And and, and support it. Last year, right, you, the problem is, though, you saw last year, the House budget and the Senate budget both proposed adding additional money, not that much, 100-ish million dollars to human landing system. But by the time they, they call it the conference committee where they finally work out their differences and they put out the final budget, that had all disappeared. And actually, NASA did worse for the first time as a function of the conference committee uh, for the first time, I think, in like seven years. Then it usually just kind of every, everyone gets a little bit of what they want. But they, they overall cut NASA's budget lower than either the House or Senate had originally proposed. And that's because of lots of things, the war in Ukraine, other priorities of the administration taking up funding. And it just so it's tricky. I would be surprised, pleasantly surprised if I saw NASA even get this full request this coming year, because there's a lot of headwinds against overall increases for things like NASA and NSF and other science and technology things because of all the other pressures that the Democratic coalition wants to pass. Not to mention, we just saw today an additional $33 billion emergency funding request for aid for Ukraine, right? So that's going to just start adding up, adding up and, and putting increased pressure on this. So it's, you mm-hmm. know, this is, again, we should just emphasize a proposal. This is an idea for, this sets the terms of the debate, and we'll start to see what Congress is going to be willing to fund uh, starting in the next, it sounds like a few weeks. The House seems like ready. They want to try to act on a faster schedule this year. Oh, interesting. Okay. <laughs> yeah, and, and it's... <laughs> Yeah. Well, anyway, there's a lot of, though, right? <laughs> yeah. There's a lot of weird factors in this though. So Ukraine being one, but also we have an election coming mm-hmm. up this year, which is going to, yep. uh, uh, I mean, no one can predict elections, but it seems like there's going to be something changing, um, you know, seeing how mm-hmm. tight some of the margins are, especially in the Senate. Um, but, uh, uh so I, there's a lot of, a lot of weird stuff happening. I guess we're coming out of the pandemic. So like, you know, it's like now is a time when people are looking for like, okay, we're back to normal. Now, what are all the normal things that are going to happen all of a sudden again, right? So it's, it's a, I guess this is, you know, there's probably a way to say this for every budget cycle, but this feels like the the, the most important budget ever. Yeah, you know? this is the most important election of our lifetime, Jake. <laughs> the most important That's election fine. of our lifetime. Yeah. Every subsequent claim can also still be true, right? Like it's, it's, totally uh, true. Yeah. it could just be good. <laughs> It doesn't necessarily negate the prior ones. Yeah, I mean, to your point, though, Jake, there's, it's, it seems likely that one or both houses of Congress will flip to to Republican control next year. Um, and the question will be whether this year, while they're still under Democratic control, even in the lame duck session that happens after the election, the midterm elections in November, whether they can strike a deal and pass a budget before the next Congress comes in, yeah. right? It's very unlikely this budget will pass before the elections. The closer you get to elections, the more... Um, Politicians hate to take votes <laughs> on things, right? They want to be out campaigning. They don't want to be tied to specific things. Very likely this gets pushed back to at least late November. Possible it gets pushed back into the next Congress, but then it gets very complicated, right? Because it depends on who wins and who's going to be taking power. Or do you want to like give up your negotiating position at that point or not? 
it's very messy to think about really projecting this forward too accurately. So this is one of those things. And of course, NASA is not the driver of any of the larger factors here, right? I've always felt that NASA is like this little space agency on a raft in this big turbulent ocean. And the waves of politics are going up and down. And, you know, it's not like the gods are against NASA. They're just getting caught up in everything else, you know, that Neptune is messing up with the <laughs> with the kind of the quality of the oceans here. And so it's <laughs> pretty close to the, it's the, just the cable the, survey here. We're just buzzing the tower. Yeah, right. right, right. <laughs> well, Uranus is sky, <laughs> right? I think I, I double check. Um, and uh, so, yeah, anyway, yeah. So it's like, so NASA just is along for the ride. And, and that's always the problem, right? At the end of the day, no one's really against it, though we're starting to see Bernie Sanders seems to have a real... Uh, issue with the second lunar landing selection, which is really unfortunate. I think a really fascinating consequence of this increasing access to space, which is functionally going to start with very wealthy people, which then suddenly makes people realize, what if I don't like everybody who goes into space? And then it starts, you know, kind of having these weird secondary and tertiary consequences um, as a function of that in politics, right? As it becomes more entering into these kind of cultural, economic, political issues. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Just yeah. right that, up until they name yeah. the next lander system, the Burlington landing system from Blue Origin. Like, here it is. Washington, yeah. Yeah, Blue Origin establishes its second headquarters in Vermont. <laughs> oh, that whole man. Amazon HQ2 thing didn't work out in Long Island City, right? They maybe can yeah. <laughs> find a new home right on the lake or something. Right next to Ben and Jerry's. There you go. <laughs> that's that's it. Blue Blue Origin and Ben and Jerry's team up for some like yeah. ice cream experiments on the moon. Yeah. So if, if you're the, uh, the <laughs> if you're the uh, governmental affairs director at uh, Blue Origin, you can call us for advice. We're, we'll take that. Oh, call. totally available, <laughs> especially this time of the year. Hit us up, offnom.com, yeah, number off-nom.com. one uh, political consultant. <laughs> <laughs> Um, so I wanted to ask about the, uh, so specifically about, you know, can you mention this is like a request, right? This is, this is NASA saying, uh, this is what we want you to do. Please, please agree with us, Congress. Um, I thought that this whole sustain, sustaining lunar development move was like really quite genius on NASA's part. So, so, so the quick overview, you know, before we had this, this sort of like preliminary contract with SpaceX, the one lander uh, uh, for the for the uncrewed and then the crewed landing for Artemis three. That was like a you know it's like this weird dev like pseudo dev special side contract just to get things moving. And then there was supposed to be like all the flights after that on like the real contract, right? I always did it quote the real contract where like it was like the rest of the flights and that was going to be competitive. And so now they snuck this like one in the middle now. And this is like specifically labeled as like, this is the one to make it competitive as per your request, Congress. This this is the line item. You asked for the line item. Here it is. We're just going to like put the Congress's special lander program like right on there. And then like I thought that was kind of neat because it like really – it really makes you like in the most specific direct way possible, say, put your money where your mouth is. right? <laughs> yeah, really. It is. It's like, you can do a lot with contract modifications, right? <laughs> and it's just how much ultimately flows out of it. Yeah. It's like, there's so much space policy that happens through contract modifications or adjustments. It's, it's pretty astonishing. If you know, the gears of bureaucracy <laughs> yeah, kinda, work. 
<laughs> it kind of scary Slot sometimes. When you appendixes think about it. to next step. <laughs> it's like or a next step. It's like yeah. worse than hurricane season right now on the next step front. <laughs> yeah, we're, we're gonna we're have the next step appendix alpha, <laughs> appendix beta. <laughs> huh. Okay. Yeah. Um, I, I see questions to that point, about though, Shelby. Should we talk about Shelby? Yeah, uh, that's more interesting. Let's go the Shelby route. Well, Shelby, let's expand it. Shelby, and also anyone else that you're tracking, you know that that might be at yeah. risk of of departures that would be impactful. Well, I've seen a number of questions come in about Richard Shelby, who's the senior senator from Alabama, the noted supporter of the space launch system since the beginning, and Shelby's an interesting guy, and he started his political career as a Democrat, switched to Republican, I think in the eighties. And, but he's kind of that old fashioned type of politician, very parochial. He is like, I'm going to make it rain in Alabama, right? Uh, just, he's going to bring <laughs> home the funds for Alabama. And that's, and he's just very, very good at that. So he's the chair of the appropriation or he's the ranking member right now. He's, he has been the chair of the Senate appropriations committee, very powerful and influential. And he has been probably the most vocal proponent for the SLS, which is managed through Marshall Space Flight Center in Northern Alabama, and has always he he kind of really stepped up and, and funded that, and has directed money towards it. I, I mentioned this earlier, but it's important to note: every single year that the SLS program has been uh, extant, Congress has provided more money than NASA has requested to it every single year, ranging from a hundred million to I think at the peak seven hundred million extra. Right, that, that's how much <laughs> they would throw at it. Um, so that, that gives you a sense of its political power. So Shelby's old, I think he's in his mid eighties and he announced he's, he's retiring next year. This is his last congressional session. He, he, he's done. He's not going to run for reelection. And I've seen a lot of people kind of ask, Oh, you know, what does this mean for SLS? Like, does this mean, you know, does the coalition fall apart? Is this, you know, it doesn't have Shelby. And I think a lot of that is overdone. I, I think you forget that. SLS has a broad coalition of support and as a way to look at this is so Shelby's a senator, right? So if we had only seen over the last 10 years, this overfunding coming from the Senate bills versus the house bills, that would be, that would tell you something, right? That might suggest it's really just Richard Shelby doing this. But last year in particular, I mean, and years before that house met, you know, the house funding bills, that's just, you know, each house and Senate both make their own and then they, they conference it together, you've seen similar support coming out of the House, right? And that's not just Shelby. That's There's a lot of members of Congress. Richard Adderholt, who's on the Appropriations Committee in the House, he's from Alabama. There's a lot of support for SLS. And I would predict that nothing changes. <laughs> I think maybe you don't have as vocal a cheerleader, but I, there's a strong infrastructure of well-placed people in leadership or potential leadership uh, who are going to be continuing to support SLS. And don't forget, it's not just those people. SLS has contracts, I think, in literally every state. Um, and at the end of the day, one, that's one of the, what drives political yeah. power. Yeah, totally. <laughs> yeah. And that's, so I think if you think SLS is just Richard Shelby's baby, I think that's a, too simplistic of a way to yeah. understand the political support for this, which is deep and broad. And I wouldn't imagine all that much changes at the end of the day. Um, and at this point, again, they've invested so much in it. 
you know, I'll, I'll put some asterisks, maybe if it blows up on its first launch or something like that, right? Or it's, it seriously is like obvious problems with the program. Mm -hmm. But if it doesn't, then again, I think all the fundamentals remain the same. I, I it's guess also the, the, the weird the thing that now that there's such a momentum building around the Artemis program, like even if you're somebody who likes the other side of the Artemis program more, you kind of need the whole thing to keep going. If you want a couple yeah. billion to go to SpaceX, Blue Origin, pick your favorite to make a lander like the way to the, the deal you're making is a couple billion goes to sls a couple billion goes to the lander you like and which yeah. do you would you rather a world the in which there aren't a couple group. billion going to the lander or would you rather the world where there is a couple billion exactly i i tend to think of this so my my background's in physics right and if you think about like old physics 101 problems or if you've ever done physics homework you have your ideal case where you do like how much forces you take to drag a box across a frictionless surface. But in reality, there's always friction, right? And friction is like th this coefficient of drag or whatever. There's something that like makes the process inefficient and dissipates the energy as a function of it. And in a way, you can kind of think about projects like the SLS as the coefficient of friction of doing a moon program, right? Like you got to build that coalition again. And if the SLS is the cost of going to the moon, to your point, if then we also get HLS and Gateway and commercial cargo resupply and the commercial payload resupply program or payload delivery program at the moon, not the worst deal. Kind of you know, and yeah. at the end of the day, kind what you're in. doing, yeah, yeah you're, you're building this giant, huge rocket and giving lots of people really good paying jobs and like high tech stuff like the, the it's not the worst thing to spend money. There's way worse things yeah. to spend money on than that. Especially so, in today's world where we have like very good examples of state space programs that are not paying anyone money and where that leads the state <laughs> space program to and another one that like still exists doing great it's slower than you want sorry you know launch will be in november yeah. instead of july or whatever but there is a rocket and that exists yeah. and it, it didn't take 25 years in like the uh angara or whatever you know like it's not the worst case scenario um i, I guess yeah. maybe the question so to 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 counter that a little bit yes there is like a um you know a, a big coalition besides richard shelby supporting this but does the loss of shelby uh both you know in 2020 when he stopped being the chair of the appropriations committee because the the house or the senate flipped and then now when he retires and you lose the decades of relationships and influence and and you know the behind the scenes sort of like soft power of of the senate um uh when you lose both those things is there is there going to be a measurable impact on the program or is was he always just kind of a drop in the bucket you know like like if he if there's no effect of him leaving then he wasn't actually important before either right <laughs> Yeah, Got I mean, test stand. The test stand was nice. They finished that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, I still finished that. That'll be. Yeah, I mean, I think he was the person. Think of it this way: I think there are people who are quietly doing stuff and supporters who don't wrap their identity around it, but mm -hmm. he would be willing to wrap his identity around it. He was he was the one who publicly go to bat for it. He'd associate himself with it too, right? And let's not forget. The current administrator of NASA is the other co-creator of the space launch system, <laughs> mm -hmm. right? Like he is currently, you know, NASA's request. You're, you're seeing the amount that Congress overfunds SLS decreasing because NASA has greatly increased and completely embraced the SLS in their budget request, right? They, they are aligned, right? They're, they're requesting $2.6 billion 
20 million less than last year, they're going to get more. <laughs> and, you know, the 22.6 billion they got last year was the overfund, right? So NASA is technically requesting more than it requested last year in the SLS. I'm sure Congress will get more. So let's not forget, again, the institutional influence and commitment to the SLS is broad and deep, including the ad current administrator of NASA who did write the thing into law. So, you know, don't dance on the grave of the SLS just yet. Anyone who's done that, uh, I've been dancing for a very long time. <laughs> yeah, they're getting very tired. tired. Yeah. <laughs> uh, okay. Um, do you want to talk? The other question that was popping up in the chat here was about China and how much geopolitical influence is happening here. I guess this is kind of related to Russia stuff too, but China being the big one who uh, has a, I guess it's the credible threat in who could actually also go to the moon instead of uh, uh, the United States. So do you think that's, I mean, you, you were talking to these, you know, to people who are working on the Hill all the time. Are you seeing that enter the, the, the logic, you know, the, the, the equation that spits out a budget or a bill at the end of the day? Like, is that starting to, to get in there? <laughs> yeah. I mean, I think that's part of it. And I think that that's certainly how Jim Bridenstine and others in the Trump administration were kind of talking about Artemis initially, right, of, of kind of demonstrating as function of U.S. soft power. I tend Nelson to see too. the China. Yeah, yeah that's right. Yeah, he, he really highlighted the, the Mars quote. lander. Was that in his like uh, hearing for administrator? I Something forget. like that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Watch the Better Chinese. Watch yeah. 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 Great quote. Bill. I mean, I think Nailed they're it. using that. I haven't seen it be that effective, though, and for NASA, right? Like, if you look at just functional increases, yeah. NASA's been growing at pretty much a steady 3.5% a year on average, which is great. It's actually one of the longest runs of continuous growth for NASA budget in its history. I think where you're seeing this really impact is Space Force. I think Space Force is pr being proposed a 25% budget increase this year, right? Uh, from the, uh, off the top of my head, I don't follow this as closely, but Space Force, I think is the real recipient of that kind of China competitiveness, geopolitical approach. Um, hmm. And at the end of the day, though, I think there's also this, you know, people tend to very rapidly want to compare it to like the Cold War and the Soviet Union. It's just such a different situation, right? And again, I, this is why, you know, I, I recently, uh, published a paper in the Space Policy Journal kind of reanalyzing some of the Apollo budget numbers. And I did uh, a comparison to things, but I make this argument that at the end of the day, if you want to know what actual policy is, what the actual policy priorities are, you look at where the money goes. Rhetoric is cheap, right? It, it, words are free. Clearly, me, I, I use words freely as if they cost nothing. I can go on and on. <laughs> but where you put your money, you can only spend a dollar once. Right. And so at the end of the day, where you spend your money really shows what your priorities are. And when Apollo happened, you know, NASA's budget doubled in the year after Kennedy made his first speech about it. And then it doubled the year after that. And the year after that, it went up 60%. Right. They, it, Apollo ultimately took up, you know, like a 4% of US GDP. It's just this huge program, very rapid increase. It got the money it needed when it needed it. For all the talk about China that we've seen, NASA's budget has continued to march along at 3% per year, right? Hmm. And so clearly, if they were truly concerned about it and needed NASA to show to counter this broad geopolitical soft power challenge from China, the money would, we, we wouldn't have to argue about whether we get a second 
human lending system, right? The money would be there for it. And so the fact that that hasn't shown up suggests to me that a lot of this is just rhetoric. But the fact that Space Force has grown so much shows that that's really the kind of the recipient that's enjoying the benefits of, of that type of contrast. Okay. How about ISS? We're going to talk about that because that's that was the other part I was watching in the budget was like, you know, if you're <clears throat> picking a year to be aggressive about where you're requesting money in a budget line item, this was the year to be like, we need a billion dollars for commercial Leo. And they didn't do that, which I'm kind of bummed about. Um, <laughs> they did get. Uh, we didn't really talk about the fact that they got that, you know, full funding on a couple of programs like a week before they put out the new budget request and and yeah they finally finished 22 (laughs) yeah right under the budget uh deadline to get the new thing out they were like well they were funding the budget past when they should have requested the next one but you know that's what it is um do you think that that was i don't know how do you how do you feel about the budget line items in there for commercial leo and transitioning off iss is it because it's like you know 100 million dollars here 200 million next year compared Mm -hmm. to the amounts we're talking about it's not that much money (laughs) <laughs> yeah, relatively modest. And again, also, we should emphasize predating uh, the invasion, the yeah. Ukraine-Russia uh, issue. And so I think you started to see the increased tension happening and that, whoa, R- Russia really may be serious and not really either going along with the 2030 extension or this will be the last extension we get. But yeah, to your point, it's a small amount of money. This is a very similar situation to early on in the COTS program, it's a pr- part of the pro- problem is it's an experiment, right? We don't know if this will work. Um, and Congress doesn't like to just throw a billion dollars a year at something that's completely unproven, right? And so we should be a bit <laughs> humble about the fact that no one has ever created a commercial space station before, much less a functional and cheaper one. And that we've had the reports that we've had analyzing this, and there have been a few, notably the one that NASA released somewhat sheepishly, I think in 2017, said like, there's no functional way to make these worth, like actual work as a private station. Like they will never make money. This, there, there's no market for them, right? There's no, we're starting to see hints of human commercial spaceflight market, right? How enduring it is. I don't know. I mean, we've seen what, the, that first Axiom 1, that's it, you know? And, and you know, and, yeah, right. There's a few others, but like, how and they got much a great a deal. Business. They got to stay up there for another like half they, a week. They got a two for one. <laughs> I know. <laughs> I wish that's like I was so jealous of those guys because they got up there for what? They're supposed to be there a week and they were there for functionally two weeks. Two weeks, yeah. And yeah, they didn't have yeah, to pay yeah. any extra. Right. Yeah. They said that they no, they they had the deal. It's like, oh yeah, uh, weather's bad again. I guess we have to stay in space yeah. another yeah. day. That's what I said um, last show. If it's we just, if you had a weather machine and you were a billionaire and you bought a flight to space, <laughs> fire that baby up, you know? It's like I don't like the look of the weather at the landing site. No. I'll need to orbit Earth for a couple more hours. Um, yeah, yeah. yeah, so the commercial space station thing, it, it's a bit, I don't want to say, I want to say half-baked, but that's probably too strong of a word. It's I know that people are working it's really like hard on it. baked or what? <laughs> <laughs> it's an experiment, right? It, it's not, a, there's an interesting situation we're in, and I keep threatening to write some longer paper about this, but we have... <laughs> We're creating policy around one outlier of commercial space partnerships, right? Like if you look at the sum total in the 21st century of commercial space flight, SpaceX is just so far beyond the performance of any other 
commercial company, it's astonishing, right? In terms of just the reliability, the cost efficiencies, the technological leaps that they've made. But it's not like there's a thousand space flight, SpaceX is blooming as a consequence of it. There, there are people who say they want to be that, but you just look at explosion after explosion after failed launch after failed launch or just delay, 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 like Blue Origin still hasn't, how far are we from New Glenn? And yet at the same time, NASA and there's this huge community that is pushing really hard to say every company is a SpaceX level of reliability and will just show up and, and create things that will work. And in reality, we have no idea <laughs> how common is SpaceX. And so like I see like this normal distribution, SpaceX is way out at three sigma, right? But we're, we're treating them from a policy perspective like they're the average, that they're the likely outcome. And we don't have any data to support that. I always think of the, remember, we all talk about COTS. There were two selections in the commercial uh, cargo resupply program, right? What's the Antares done lately beyond resupply the space three. station? They there was a company that anything. didn't even make it to that part. Well, that <laughs> there, was the, that was the good that part. totally yeah. went kaput. Well, I'm, right. I'm counting them because that was yeah. part of the thing. Was like, hey, we picked two yeah. companies that haven't done haven't done a thing. One went out of business before they even got close, and then they brought yeah. in a you know another one that made Antares, right. <laughs> which I historically yeah. am known and to Rockland completely was a hate, good example so. of you had to shut down a non-performing entity and they barely got away with that, right? In the history of that, that they, they got pushback for trying to shut off the contract. But at the end of the day, you had two successful and, and Terry's is successfully supplying the station, right? It's doing exactly what they asked it to do, but it's not going out there like SpaceX and transforming the launch marketplace. I don't know if they've ever launched, I don't think they've launched a single other customer, mm -mm. right? Nope. And so that maybe that's the likely outcome that you get a NASA dependent monopsony, right? A single buyer market driving things and then spacex just happens to be the brainchild of this uniquely weird you know messianic billionaire genius uh, uh oh, organizer as <laughs> a consequence of it. Really yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well i mean so that's what's like how much of it how much of what we're seeing with spacex is kind of a unique combination of it's not because it's not just EMS, it's Gwen Shotwell, right? Absolutely. And yeah. Hans, yeah, it's like all these, all these really amazing individuals. And that the fact that I haven't seen similar type of performance from commercial companies yet, you know, again, and again, that's why I say it's an experiment. I'm trying to, we don't know how this is going to turn out, but I think we should all acknowledge we don't know how it's going to turn out, right? Like, and it's going to be really interesting to see the first payload delivery uh, launches to the moon coming up later this year with Astrobotic yeah. and others to see what that's going to work like. How much failure can we take at once? And so uh, there's this interesting thing with commercial to, to bring this back to the commercial Leo is we're we're treating commercial Leo as a given. It will work, right? When in reality, we have no idea, right? There, mm -hmm. There's no, just because SpaceX has done one thing doesn't mean it gets, it's a logical fallacy to assume that there's a, this unrelated orthogonal issue will also then be successful just because it's a commercial. It may be, but we're, you know, we have to be right, aware no that it could that. fail and then what's the plan? Yeah, there's just the, no The way that I'd it. put it is that all of, all of the success of these SpaceX elements of the industry have been when SpaceX is going in a direction that happens to work for something that NASA or Space Force or whoever it is they want something similar to that. 
So SpaceX sees it as a viable mechanism to help them get from where they are to where they're going. Whatever NASA wants to mm-hmm. do, if they want to go to the moon, cool, but that's not where SpaceX is heading, but they can fly there too. So that works. <laughs> if the Space Development Agency wants to make a constellation of satellites, eh, it's not the kind that we want to make, but it does help us make a couple of extra satellites off the production line. So toss the contract on board. So the only hope that I have there when I use that frame to look at commercial LEO is that Blue Origin has such internally driven desire to create some infrastructure in low Earth orbit that the thing that NASA wants is close enough to that path that that helps them be successful in that way because it's the thing that they mm-hmm. want internally. And and so, like, yeah. is it the internal function of SpaceX that makes them successful? Absolutely. But it's also the fact that yeah, they're yeah. on a mission that is well-defined and they have a really good insight as to what things can we capture that are close enough that help us, you know, put a little extra fuel in the tank for that. Yeah, and, and yeah. to sort of build yeah. on that too. So we just saw um, this morning, there was, uh, I think there's the Ascend conference is happening right now or something. And so they were talking to Intuitive Machines and they said they had an interest in returning samples from the moon with their lander. So not just going there, but also coming back with something. But then it was, uh, you know, I think it was Tim Crane, right? That said, um, but we were, we're waiting to find out uh, what NASA would pay for that and and how much they want, you know? And they're like, I'm like, okay, so... You don't actually want to bring samples back, but if NASA was going to buy samples from you, then you then you do it right, and that sort of demonstrates the line between here's our our, our mission and our goal, and NASA, if you want yeah. to do some side contracts to help us get there, great. Versus where NASA spends the money, that's where we go, right? Yeah, yeah, and I should be really clear that I'm really supportive of the experiment, right? Like even if mm-hmm. I sound yes, like I'm being yes. a bit critical, like <laughs> yeah. I, we know how the other process works and we were just talking about it right it just it is <laughs> cost plus there, but it's a slow and expensive way to do it and if you want to try to doing lots of things this is a really fascinating way to do it and maybe you will get another outlier maybe you will shift that average you know to more spacex's right and fewer rocket plane kisslers um and so i'm i'm truly supportive of it but i think people need to understand that it's not a given that we get to that point, yeah. right? It, it's a, well, it's a when risk. The, when the narrative is, is that commercial wins every time, when you say you're excited about the experiment, you sound like a downer. Yeah, <laughs> yeah right. It's, it's, there's an interesting, it, there's a selection effect in space stuff where it's like, it's, you want, it's fundamentally an optimistic field to be in, right? Like you have to be optimistic, even in like the really basic stuff. I have to assume my understanding of physics is correct that I'm going to point my Mars rocket there, even though Mars is over there right now, right? Like, and they're going to like <laughs> line up and I understand things and I'll be around in eight months when they, when it gets there. Um, and so, yeah, I think it, but it's optimism. You just have to just be tempered by uh, realism, right? This kind of pragmatic thing. Like, and this is why I think talking about failure as being an okay outcome. And that, right, that, that we have to accept failure if we want this type of stuff to happen. And it's been interesting in the past that failure hasn't been, it's always punished, right? That if you talk about these incentives, these structural incentives, failure gets you a congressional investigation. Failure gets you on the front page of the New York Times saying that the, the, the country is failing as a technological system. Um, and I think what is different with public-private partnerships is that you're in a sense, you know, NASA has a burden of symbolism, right? That it carries as the space program of the United States, as the inheritors of the legacy of Apollo, that Mm -hmm. NASA represents competence and success and forward thinking, all this stuff 
but as a consequence, they, if when they fail, like with disastrous consequences you saw with, with like the shuttle, or even in smaller levels like Mars Polar Lander and Mars Climate Orbiter, that's front page news. That's like, it's not just that NASA failed. There has to be some larger self-identity crisis of the nation that if NASA's yeah, failing, right. what must be wrong right. with us? So what what what's changed, I think, with, with partnerships, and this is, I think, very big benefit to them is that you're offloading the burden of national symbolism. You're offloading <laughs> the failure to them and not to NASA, right? So SpaceX can blow up its rockets over and over again. And then you can get excited about it. They're like, great, hey, we blew it up. We'll figure out something. And it's not like some like big you know, thought piece written in the New Yorker, like, is this country <laughs> going down the twos because this rocket blew up? And that allows the system of pushing the boundaries to failure and taking risks to happen um, without kind of impugning NASA's good name. And I think that's mm -hmm. a really important development that we're seeing here. And again, this is why it's so important, I think, to, to, to run these experiments to see how far can you push that. Like, again, if, if every commercial payload lunar lander fails in the first two years, like, that may be dumb. <laughs> People may be like, what are we spending 300 million a year on? Um, <laughs> but I think we haven't found where that boundary is yet. And that's the important part of doing the experiment. Yeah. We might want to cancel the rest of off nominal because that was like the best monologue we might have ever had on this show. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, that's, that's, great. that's, the, uh, that's the ecliptic difference, I think. Yeah. <laughs> it just crushed it. Thank you for being fans of the show. We will uh, adjourn now. And, for all future content. Uh, yeah, yeah. All members will be converted to Planetary Society members. And, uh, <laughs> yeah, enjoy enjoy uh, Planetary Radio. It's uh, next week. <laughs> Yeah, Casey, on that note, what are you working on? You, you've gotten through the, the little budget, you know, yep. budget March and well, April that uh, you do every year now. <laughs> what yep. else is on your done radar? The done the budget analysis. Uh, well, we'll be kicking up our actual advocacy uh, work. Um, so for Planetary Society members, or you could, to do a quick plug, you can sign up for our my Space Advocate newsletter, which comes out once a month. That's free. Um Jake just mentioned Space Policy Edition, Planetary Radio, which is also free. You can just subscribe once a month. Um, and so at the end of the day, I think it's important that we all love space. And I'm really trying to help people make sure that they can be effective citizens for space, too. Right. And so particularly in the U.S., we have ways to train you, to get you engaged, and then to let you know how to take action and when to take action that has the maximal effect. So we're getting ready for that, ramping up as Congress starts to develop its response to this proposed budget. Um, we didn't even touch on this, but it, the big issue this year is going to be the NEO surveyor mission, right? The planetary defense mission. I think, you know, again, the planetary society takes this bold stance that we don't want to have a civilization destroying asteroid hit us at any point. And so we need a space telescope out there um, looking for these things. And now it's, it's actually the decadal survey prioritized that as a top priority. Um, we want to make, but NASA wants to cut it by 100 million next year, right? It's kind of this insane thing. And so getting people engaged, that'll be our next steps, really going to be consuming mine. I'll be going to the Astrobiology Conference in Atlanta coming up, AbSciCon. And that's another big thing that you do, search for life. And I'm trying to work with the astrobiology community to really create what's a great policy for astrobiology and the search for life at NASA. And more broadly, because it really is this multi crazy multidisciplinary area. Um, and then I'll be at the uh, Space, uh, the um, Secure World Foundation Space Situational Awareness um, Workshop 
uh, space security workshop in London in June. So those will be taking up my time coming up in the next few months. You won't miss Artemis one. So that's good. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Not missing that. I want, I will, I, I do want to be there. I think it will be a spectacular thing to see, right? I never oh, saw a shuttle launch. Yeah. And, uh, I will, one of those beautiful kind of experiences of, I, we should just mention this, right? It just, for anyone who hasn't seen a rocket launch, right? It's, maybe one of the most sublime experiences that a human can have, particularly if you're already watching this show. Yeah, Yeah, totally. (laughs) You're you're kind of sold on it. But it's like, what was interesting to me, I'll do a quick version of this, which is there's a a true difference, right, between intellectual abstract knowledge and experiential knowledge in the body, right? And seeing a launch, I've watched, I had watched thousands of them, I don't know, hundreds of them online or on video or whatever. But being there in person and feeling the the shake in your chest of the rocket launching and and seeing or, or or having your eyes hurt looking at the flame coming out of the back of the rocket um feeling the energy of the crowd and the emotion of the crowd feeling the humidity of the of the area and just connecting that to that history that was something just profound um so seeing a launch is one of those things i think that would is almost like this great conversion experience of creating not just space fans, but space advocates. That that's, that was my conversion experience. Um, but also helping to bring people in that this is not just something that's an abstract thing, right? Like space is one of the most abstract out there, literally out there concepts that we have. But seeing a launch is one of those pure experiential moments of, of sublime, almost grace, right? And it's a really fantastic experience. So going to see something like SLS, no matter how, over budget, how much Boeing has been overpaid, right? No, how how much behind they are, like all of that will fall away in a second <laughs> yeah. when I see no that. No one's gonna go care when be, that thunder from yeah. the solids hit us. No one's gonna give a shit about that. <laughs> yeah, it could literally be burning as much money as spent on it, and we would not care. It might be good for the economy at the moment. Beautiful. There you go. Yeah, it's an investment. There was actually an interesting. We might want to consider putting like talk- twenty bill in the flame trench anyway. <laughs> just, just snuck yeah. an inflation joke right yeah. in at the end. There. Nailed okay. it. Yeah. <laughs> the next time we talk, there's a, there's an interesting argument made that Apollo was a functionally a second reconstruction level investment in the American South in terms of hard infrastructure, hardware, work pro- like work programs. Um, so that's, uh, I'll leave that dangling for the future. That's a great teaser for uh, whatever topic. date you decide you want to come back on and do that. Cause that sounds very interesting <laughs> to me. So <laughs> we sent yeah. you the link to the calendar. Just look in there. Let us know what date that's going to be. Cause that's great. Yeah. Excellent content right there. That's excellent. <laughs> uh, okay. Uh, yeah. Um, we're way over time. Uh, yeah, Anthony, what are you working on? That was great. Oh, I had yeah. some good ones uh, this week. I had some good shows. You put out a lot week. of podcasts. Yeah. yeah, everything landed at the same time. Um, what did I do first? We had, uh, oh, we had uh, Brad Cheatham from Advanced Space on to talk about Capstone, which is like low-key a really freaking cool mission that's going to near rectilinear halo orbit. Uh, and that's, so it was really cool to talk about what they've been working on, how they're flying that one. And it's honestly a mission that's like only possible right now. A small satellite launching on a small launch vehicle because NASA's working on a moon program was not a thing that would have happened even like five years ago. So very cool mission. And then I had Brent Sherwood on, who is the senior vice president of advanced development programs at Blue Origin, which is a crazy title. But we talked about Orbital Reef. So similar to what we were getting into earlier on the show about like how commercial Leo works. I thought we got into some good stuff. 
I was I, I wish I had more time generally, but scheduling was tough. So <laughs> that's what we had. And I don't know. It was interesting to talk about, like, specifically how they're going to build modules for other businesses, which is kind of weird. But I think yeah. ne- ne- yeah. necessary. So that's what's going on cool. over here. Cool. Next week, yeah. Jake, you had a great show for next week on this show. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So if you love this conversation with Casey today, uh, check the We Martians feed next week because there will be oh, yeah. uh, lots, of, lots of Casey coming uh, down the pipe. So it's going to be really good. Um, so yeah, we covered Decadal Survey. So this is the big, big once every 10 years report on uh, uh, planetary science from the community on what they think NASA should be doing. Uh, and there's a lot of gems in there. So like Casey mentioned, we talked for an hour and 45 minutes, I think that was the unedited length. We'll see where it ends up, but an hour and 45 and we did not cover it all. So um, it's going to be kind of a, our, our best picks is what's important. Um, I'm really excited to, uh, to go through that this weekend and get it all ready to go. What about this off yeah. idea, Jake? That's what I was teeing up. Curse <laughs> yes yes next week uh so next week anthony and i uh will be doing a show just the two of us uh we're doing something fun so every once in a while we like to do a kind of a fun like nothing episode that is not related to what's going on in the world <laughs> and uh, uh we're doing cursed cursed rocket cursed missions cursed i i, I don't know how you how we would want to box this in but we're going to pick a, a couple of weird uh flights from the past and sort of you know reminisce on what happened and what what weird stuff happens so um tweet us the, your weirdest favoritest rocket anomalies and we'll we'll see if it makes the cut but <laughs> yeah there's there's your preview it's gonna be a great one <laughs> casey thanks for hanging out with us and putting up with our horse crap uh, while you were doing epic monologues <laughs> <laughs> hey thanks for writing me in that's always a delight to to talk with you guys one two three four five five four three two one end of test